Amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them to 2 Samuel chapter 8. 2 Samuel uh, chapter 8. It is an incredible blessing this morning to be able to preach uh, live from Reach Church DeSoto. To be here in DeSoto is an incredible blessing. Um, here at DeSoto, those of you that are joining us online and uh, those in the worship center, the venue service, and, and down in Paola, we experienced a baptism. So this morning, what a joy to be able to have baptism in our service. And I know in all of our services today, we're getting to participate in communion. So it's a special day to, to be in God's house. I do want to remind you in a couple things before we get started here. Number one, Operation Christmas Child. Please bring those boxes back. If you took some boxes, that's only half the battle, all right? You can't keep the box at home. You got to bring it back in order for it to really uh, achieve its desired end, okay? So please bring those boxes back. And then let me also say, we're about a thousand short on our goal. And so we, we still have some boxes that can be picked up. You can still participate. It's not too late, but you need to do so now. So today, get one of those boxes, or you can even go online and you can complete a box online. You can go to our website. It'll give you directions there. Uh, but I want to encourage you to participate. Also, this is uh, Veterans Day weekend. I, I want to acknowledge our military servicemen and women. So what I'd like to do in all of our services, so you're in the worship service, if you're in Paola, um, um, in the venue service, if you're a veteran, if you've served in one of our military branches, or if you're currently serving, would you, would you please stand at this time so we can just recognize you? So if you're a military serviceman or woman, we want to recognize you. Thank you. Thank you. We're so grateful. Um, we're reminded, uh, or I am, on a regular basis as I uh, see men uh, out there that have um, some indicator that they served, and I have an opportunity to say thank you for the, their service. I'm reminded every day we enjoy freedoms um, that somebody else has sacrificed for, and a lot of people uh, bled and died and gave their life for, and, um, and so it's special when we have an opportunity to recognize those who have served in that way, so we want to thank you so much for your for your uh, willingness to serve and to protect the freedoms that we enjoy. Now, more than ever, we need to be in prayer for our nation and our military service, men and women. Well, as we turn our attention to God's word this morning in 2 Samuel chapter 8, um, the context is um, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Isn't that pretty good? You know, that's brilliance, a stroke of brilliance right there. So it precedes it in chapter 7. But what we're seeing in chapter, um, what we're seeing in chapter 8 is the fulfillment of what God said he would do in chapter 7. So God made some incredible promises to David. David, I'm going to give you a rest from your enemies. I'm going to establish you in this land. Um, I'm going to make a, a great name for you, David. And then what we see in chapter 8, and chapter 8 really is a summary. Some of what we're going to see in chapter 8 has already occurred. Some of it's yet to occur. But it kind of gives you a summary, an overview of his reign. And what God is doing here is letting you know that, that I am a God who keeps my promises. So, in fact, you could, this promise really precedes David. 600 years before David, God made a promise to Abraham. Um, he said, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. He also made a promise to, to Abraham to make his uh, descendants more numerous than the stars in the sky. And he, he gave him a picture of the promised land and the land that God was going to give them from, from the Euphrates River in the north to Egypt in the south and gave them the picture of the borders. And what we're going to see is, is David is going to fulfill what God spoke to Abraham. And David is going to establish the borders of Israel. That's what we're going to see. This is, this is the spreading of God's kingdom in David's day. So he's establishing the kingdom that God had given to him. And what we're going to see in this is some principles that apply to our day. 
And we're also going to be pointed to the ultimate fulfillment that will come in Christ when he returns and establishes the kingdom of God on earth. So with that in mind, let's pray together, then we'll work our way through this text. Father, we thank you for your word that speaks so plainly to us, relevantly. And so, God, I pray that we come today with humble hearts, teachable hearts, that we might be changed today as a result of your word. God, I pray for those that are coming today. They just need encouragement. I pray that they um, would be reminded that we serve a God who always keeps his promises. And the God who fights on behalf of his people. And, um, Lord, I, I pray for maybe the one that needs to be challenged to change. That, God, you would convict them of sin and you would remind them that you, you discipline us, you correct us because you love us. And then finally, I pray for the, the person who maybe is watching online or maybe in the worship center right here in this room. Maybe even down at Reach Church Paola this morning, they're, they're sitting in this service and they don't know you. They've, they've never trusted in you. They've never submitted their life to King Jesus. I pray that they would be encouraged by means of your word and your spirit to know the joy of submitting their lives to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. We pray this all in his name. Amen. Well, let's look together in verse 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 8. It says, and after, Now after all this, it came about that David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And David took control of the chief city from the hand of the Philistines. So David starts not outside the nation, but he's going to start inside the nation. And there's this group of people that have created a stronghold in the nation. They've been a thorn in the side of Israel for quite some time, and that's the Philistines. We've already seen David defeat the Philistines and push them out. In fact, he defeated their great giant, Goliath. David is the Philistine slayer. You know, This is the guy who God uses to push them out. Um, and, the, and the picture here is not just that he pushes them out, but he takes control of their stronghold. You'll see that chief city mentioned there. I'm, I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. It says chief city. Um, that chief city is the Hebrew word um, um, metheg ama. I've got to remind myself of that. Metheg ama. And what it really means is the, 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 the place of the bridle, the place of control. Um, some people view this as Gath. We know that Gath was a great Philistine city. But it's apparent that there's actually a location within Israel, within their borders, where they've just kind of established a stronghold. It's, 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 it's the Philistines in defiance of God. They've set up a stronghold. In fact, this place is mentioned in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 2, verse 24, after uh, Abishai has been killed by Abner. And now Joab, Abishai's brother, is pursuing after Abner to kill him, and it comes to the, they, it says they come to the place of a maw. It was in, apparently a hill. It was a place of great strength, um, a, a stronghold in the nation. And David sees this stronghold of the Philistines in the nation, much like he saw the Jebusites controlling the city of Jerusalem, and he says, that's not right. And so he goes to take back that which was given to them, and he defeats the Philistines, and he takes the stronghold. Throughout this passage, as you see the, the kingdom of God advancing here, the, the kingdom that God has given to David, and one of the things that sticks out to me is you, you see David not taking a defensive posture, but he's taking an offensive posture. He's advancing the kingdom of God with great confidence because of God who is with him. So you don't see David with the spirit of fear or timidity, but you see a man of sound mind and good judgment. He knows that God is with him, and he's moving the kingdom forward. And it's a reminder to me, there's so many parallels. Now listen, we're not advancing an earthly kingdom. We're not trying to uh, fight battles on the base of weapons, and, 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 and our battle is a spiritual battle. We don't struggle with flesh and blood. Um, but, but at the same time, we are advancing. 
advancing the kingdom as the kingdom has been inaugurated through Christ who came and died and resurrected and now we're advancing his kingdom. And as we do so, I, I think far too often we as Christians, we are fearful and timid and afraid and we need to have a, a spirit of boldness about us as God goes with us to advance the kingdom. That's what God told us to do. And this is what David is doing. David knows. It's, it's interesting. David at a time, is, he's kind of established himself as king. He could have sit back and just relaxed. He could have, could have rested on his laurels. But here's a guy who goes back and is reminded that God promised Abraham that this land was, would be ours. And I'm not going to sit back when God has told us to take this land and establish it. I'm going to fulfill what God has given me to do. And so David initiates. He moves forward. And he does what God has told him to do. Look in verse 2, it says he defeated Moab and measured them with a line, uh, making them lie lie down on the ground. And he measured two lines to put to death one, uh, one full line and one full line to keep alive. And the Moabites became servants to David, bringing tribute. So this is a, it looks incredibly harsh. He, he conquers the Moabites. He puts them up in two lines and about two-thirds of them he, he wipes out. He kills and only keeps about a third of them alive. You say, what in the world is going on here? It's incredibly harsh. In fact, if you notice, this is not a part of the original land that was deeded over to Israel that God promised to Israel. This is Transjordan. This is on the other side of the Jordan. So you, what are you doing here? It almost looks like David is imperialistic. The, the nation of Israel was never intended to be imperialistic. Uh, they were to defend that which God had given to them. Um, but David here will go Transjordan. Why? And he'll take Moab. It's because you'll remember when Moses was bringing the nation of Israel into the promised land, they needed to go through Moab. And Moses asked for permission. Can we please go through your land? We're not going to take anything. We just want to travel through your land. And the Moabites said, no, you can't go through our land. And not only did they say no, they actually attacked Israel. And Moses battled against them. And Moses beat them. And he took that land and said, now this is God's land. And he made the Moabites pay tribute to the nation of Israel. They did that until you get to the time of the judges, and during the time of the judges, the nation of Israel becomes incredibly weak, and the land of Moab has thrown off Israel. They've rebelled and said, we're not paying tribute, and we're going to do whatever we want to do. And David is now going and saying, God gave this land to Moses and to the people of God, and we're going to reclaim it. And when he comes in there, listen, you can read um, and judge. This is a group of people that were incredibly harsh to the nation of Israel. They, were, um, uh, they, they, they uh, did all kinds of things. In fact, there's um, the whole Balaam, and they hired Balaam to pronounce a curse on the nation of Israel. And Balaam won't do it. You remember that? And so then they decide to attack them a different way. And they get women to entice the men of Israel. You remember they've only been eating manna. And they say, come have some steak. And these men are like, that sounds really good to me. And they come over there, and then they get them to engage in sexual immorality. I mean, this this is a people that attacked the people of God. And, And really, as we see here, David could have gone scorched earth on them. I mean, David could have wiped all of them out. Please remember this, that when it comes to God, that the righteousness and justice of God demands judgment upon those who rebel against God. Now, they've had a stay of judgment. God's been merciful. But his judgment is now coming. And David could have wiped them all out. He could have erased them. But, but David keeps part of them. Why does David do that? Well, David does that because they're distant relatives. Re- remember, these are, these are um, the, the Moabites, Moab and Am, Ammon. You remember, they're the sons of Lot. 
And they established this land. This land was actually given to Gad and Reuben and Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh after Moses conquers it and they go into the land. But but this is a group of people that were rebellious against the people of God. Um, uh, David goes to take it again. He could have gone scorched earth. He's not. He's not going to destroy them. He's going to keep a line of them because these are relatives. But he's going to make them now pay tribute like they did after Moses conquered them. And then you go on down and it says in verse 3, Then David defeated Hadad-Ezer, the son of Rahab, uh, king of Zobah, as he went to restore his rule at the river. And so God had promised Israel that they would rule from the Euphrates River in the north all the way down to Egypt in the south. And he's going to restore that which God gave them. And so he goes up in the north and he uh, defeats this king to restore um, uh, the land that God had given to them, the land that God had deeded over to Israel. In, chapter, in verse 4, it says, David captured from him 1,700 horsemen and 20,000 foot soldiers. And David hamstrung the chariot horses, but re- reserved enough of them for 100 chariots. Um, the, the king of Israel, you remember the king of Israel was, was told you cannot multiply wives and you cannot multiply horses. The picture there is the most mighty weapon for any empire during that day was a horse. And what God wanted his people to know is you go into battle, you don't trust in your military might, you don't trust in horses, you trust in me. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. You just be faithful to me, I'll fight the battle for you, and then in the end, I and I alone will get the glory. So David is sending a clear message to the nation as he hamstrings these horses to let them know we will continue to be a people who simply trust in the Lord our God. In fact, I've been studying Psalm 34, and in that psalm, uh, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Isn't that good? Where the psalmist goes on to say, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed are those who take refuge in him. We just trust in God, amen? And we let God be God. We're, our, our objective is faithfulness. I love this about David. David's objective, his goal is not affluence. It's not comfort. His number one goal, his number one passion is to simply be faithful to what God told him to do. Let God be God, and then God will do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that he could ever think, ask, or imagine. Look at verse 5. When the uh, Arameans of Damascus came to help Hadad Ezer, king of Zobah, David killed 22,000 Arameans. So 22,000 Arameans come against them and David killed them. I love this about David. David is not impressed by numbers. Israel never lost a war because they didn't have a big enough military. They never lost a war because they didn't have enough men. Remember with Gideon, we're going to whittle it down to 300 Because that would be way too many. I'm going to whittle it down. They only lost because they were unfaithful to God. And David knew when he was walking, this is the confidence we should have as believers. When you're seeking to walk in faithfulness to God, when you're walking in faithfulness and obedience to the word, you can have the promise and the assurance that God is with you. And if God is with you, what does it matter who's against you? See, David, that's what he knows. I'm walking in faithfulness. I'm walking in obedience. God is with me, and you can bring 30,000, and I'm not scared. I'm going to trust God to achieve the victory for me. In verse 6, then David put garrisons among the Arameans of Damascus, and the Arameans became servants to David, bringing tribute. And the Lord helped David wherever he went. So he sets up these garrisons, just um, similar to what he did with the Moabites. They're going to pay tribute um, to David. They're going to recognize his, his reign. 
uh, that this is land that's been deeded to God and to his people, and you'll pay tribute. And notice there at the end, it says, the Lord helped David wherever he went. This is a clear picture. You're going to see this phrase used over and over again. It's the reminder that David wins the battle because God is with him. David does not win because he's a superior military mind. He doesn't win because of the size of his army. He, he, he doesn't win because he has a whole bunch of chariots. He wins because the Lord helped him. Um, you move on and you see in verse 7, David took the, the shields of, the, uh, of gold which were carried by the servants of Hadad-Ezer and brought them to Jerusalem. So these shields were part of, um, it, it appears that they were very proud of their shields. They were very proud of these shields that protected them from the enemy that they would come against. And David not only beats them, but he takes the shields that they were so incredibly proud of and he takes them back to the nation. He beats them and then he takes their lunch money. Don't you love this? He's just whipping them and and what they see as their stronghold now becomes part of God's kingdom. You look on and it says in verse 8, um... Uh, from Betah and from Berathai, cities of Hadad Ezer, King David took a very large amount of bronze. So he continued to accumulate the wealth of the nations is beginning to come to him. In verse 9, now when Toy, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated all the army of Hadad Ezer, Toy sent Joram, his son, to King David to greet him and bless him because he had fought against Hadad Ezer and defeated him. For Hadad Ezer had been at war with Toy, and Joram brought with him articles of silver and of gold and of bronze. I love this. This is probably my favorite part within the passage. You've got this king, king named Toy, and, and, and he's far up in the north. He's beyond Damascus, so he's way up north. And it says here that he heard about King David. He heard that King David is whipping everybody. He's heard that David is not only whipping everybody, he's taking their stuff, and he's bringing it back to himself. And I think the light becomes, it begins to dawn on Toy Hey, uh, the people who oppose King David, it doesn't normally work out well for them. And he begins to realize, I think it'd be a whole lot better off if I just submit to this king and go ahead and pay tribute to him. And maybe I'll be reconciled to this guy. And instead of being his enemy, I'll become his friend. And I'll know the joy of fellowship and friendship with God's rightful anointed king. And so... Toy comes and says, hey, how about I pay tribute? It's beautiful. He comes. He sends his son. He sends his son. He pays tribute. And I'm going to willingly bend the knee to God's anointed king. The reason I love that part, because Hamath, when you talk about the kingdom principles that relate to our day, Hamath is us. You and I are outside the people of God. We're grafted in. We are Gentiles. Unless you can trace your lineage back to Abraham this morning, you're a Gentile like me. We are enemies of God. We are objects of wrath. But what happened to us? At some point or another, if you're a Christian today, it's because the light dawned on you and you saw a great Jewish king. You saw the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, and you recognized him as the one who had defeated the enemy. And he had defeated the enemy of sin, Satan, and death, and his death on the cross, and his subsequent resurrection. He is the king, and you wised up, and you said, I don't want to be a statistic. I want to submit to this guy, and I want to know his lordship and his reign in my life and know the blessing of friendship with him. And we submitted our life. We brought tribute. We laid everything down, just as we saw so powerfully pictured in this baptism. We laid everything down at our, his feet, and, and, and we were no longer his enemies. We became friends through faith in him. 
So what a powerful picture here that, that toy and Hamath. The, 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 the overarching picture of this, folks, is everybody is going to bow at the feet of King David. You're either going to rebel against him and reject him, and you're going to forcibly bow, and he'll just go ahead and take your stuff. Or you can recognize him as the rightful king. You can bend the knee, and you can know the blessing of friendship and reconciliation with him. That's David here, and he's picturing before us the kingdom of God that's coming in Jesus Christ. So David is advancing forward. You look down here, um, it says in verse 12, from Aram and Moab and the sons of Ammon and the Philistines and Amalek and from the spoil of headed Ezer, son of Rohab, king of Zobah. So David made a name for himself when he returned from killing 18,000 Arameans in the valley of, of salt. That last portion, so you see his kingdom's advancing, but that last really sticks out to me. Because you see Arameans there, a, a, a significant battle that made, um, made a great name for David. And you have Arameans fighting at the Valley of Salt. The Valley of Salt is um, the Dead Sea area. So that's way down south. That's the area of Edom. The Arameans are way up north. And you say, what in the world is happening? Why are Arameans down the south in the land of Edom? Well, apparently what happened is the Edomites said, we do not want David to be king. We do not want to give up what we think is rightfully ours. And so the Edomites called up to the Arameans and said, how about we join forces together? Now, they have nothing in common. Typically, they probably would have been enemies. But they're going to unite together against who? Against the Lord's anointed David. So let's unite together and let's try to, we may not be able to beat him individually, but maybe if we unite our forces, we'll be able to beat him. Well, they unite their forces. It doesn't work out well for them. But it's a picture to me of the world. The, the world, you see a lot of people from different places and different backgrounds and even different faiths, but they will unite together in a hatred towards the Lord, his anointed, and his people. You can mark it down and you can take it to the bank. What we're seeing today in the world today, even in the midst of this conflict in the Middle East with Israel, is a very simple battle that's been going on since the very beginning. What you have is a world that rejects God, his son, and his people. And they will unite together against the Lord's anointed and his people. Um, in fact, is there another place in scripture where you see an Edomite king with a worldly king who have nothing in common but a common hatred for a common enemy and they will unite together to try to kill him? There's an Edomite king, we're going to study him this Christmas, named King Herod. And, uh, and then he is going to unite with a worldly king or a worldly ruler, a governor known as Pilate, and together they will come together against the Lord's anointed Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is going to prevail there even though they think they've won. And so here you see David, even with the world united against him, he will advance God's kingdom with God's power. Then you look on down in verse 14, he put garrisons in Edom, so just like he did with Moab in all, the, in, in all Edom, he put garrisons and all the Edomites became servants to David, and the Lord helped David wherever he went. Verse 15, so David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and righteousness for all his people. I love this. David is going to couple both his military might with, with the character and the righteousness that he has on the basis of God's word. So he has a standard of righteousness outside of himself that will actually become the foundation of his reign so that he will reign in righteousness and justice and it'll be for all people. That David's not going to show favoritism, not even to his own tribe of Judah. This is a man who will look on people with righteousness and justice 
and, and, the, and, the, and the nation will know incredible peace. Um, David is not perfect. Um, we're going to see this as we move forward. He's got a lot of flaws. But he'll govern on the basis of the righteousness and justice of God and his law. And what we will get a glimpse of is probably about as perfect uh, a situation that you can get through any earthly king apart from Jesus that we will eventually know one day. Um, but, but this is the desire of every human heart. In fact, in our Pledge of Allegiance, we conclude that with, um, um, with liberty and justice for all. That's the longing. We want liberty. We want justice. In fact, people, refugees, come from all over the world. They're slipping across our border today, but they want to come here because why? They know this is a place of liberty and justice. Now, is it perfect? No. There's not liberty and justice for the unborn in the womb today, but in a lot of places, a lot of situations. But the fact of the matter is, we just get a, a close approximation of that in the United States, and God gives his blessing but when there is no righteousness, when there is no standard of truth, and the, and the nation gets away, with that, gets away from that, the nation then begins to crumble. That's, the, that's, the, that's history. You can study it all the way back from the Assyrians to the Babylonians to the Persians to the Greeks to the Romans to Germany to France. And even to us if we get too far away from God's word in the United States. But David is going to make the foundation of his kingdom righteousness and justice. And they're going to know the peace and they're going to know the blessing of God. And then you just see the order of his administration. You'll see it there at the end. Um, Joab, the son of Zariah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilad, was the recorder. Um, so you've got an army. You have to have an army. Listen to me. Pacifism is not biblical. You have to have a military to protect your borders. And that's what David establishes. We're going to have a military with Joab to protect this nation. They will not be imperialistic. They are just to protect the nations and its people. So they're not to try to overtake ground that God had not given to them. They were to protect the borders and the nation that God had given to them. Um, and so as a military, he's got a recorder. The recorder was the guy who reminded the king of the promises that he made. It's similar to politicians today. We'll make a lot of promises, and we want to hold them to those promises. The recorder would remind the king, these are the edicts that you've made. These are the promises you made, and you will keep them. You will do what you said you were going to do. How about that? Wouldn't that be good when we actually held politicians to do what they said they were going to do? In verse 17, Zadok, the son of Ahitab, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were priests, and Sariah was secretary. So now we've got priests. You've got to have a man of God. That the, the king, there's got to be some men. We're going to see this in Nathan. But you have to have men of God in the nation who are not afraid to put a finger in the chest of the king and say, you are not sovereign. You are subject to God and to his law and his word. So David, you are a sinner and you are guilty. And you don't get a king's ex just because you're the king. You're subject to the law of God, too. That's what they did. The secretary, that's kind of the secretary of state. Most believe these are the people who kept the law. So they made sure the, the nation was adhering to the law. And then Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites. And David's sons were chief administrators. These Cherethites, that's interesting. This is a group of people, but probably Philistines. And they were in, intensely loyal to David. So they had given their loyalty to King David even though they were Philistines and they came, became a kind of militia. Most people believe these were kind of like the police force. 
So you've got the military that protects from international uh, invasions to protect the borders. And then you had policemen domestically to uh, enforce the local laws of the land. Do you see the order with which David is administering this kingdom? It's an, it's an ordered kingdom on the basis of righteousness and justice and the law of God. And what we're seeing in David as he's advancing these kingdom, we get to see a little picture. There's some principles here. And I just want to give you one as we kind of close, close this morning. But what is the application for us? Because I've already told you, listen, we are not in a struggle against flesh and blood. We are, we are advancing the kingdom of God today, but we do not do so with the weapons of a military. We advance the kingdom of God today on the basis of spiritual means. But there is some practical application that, that is true for our lives today as we advance the kingdom of God. Now know this, uh, the, the, the primary thing is this, is that the kingdom of God always advances in the midst of conflict. That's what I see here. The kingdom of God always advances in the midst of conflict. David, he was facing conflict. There were people that were rejecting. They were rebelling. And David would have to fight. There was a, there was a fight that would ensue. And David would win. And the, the kingdom would be advanced. And one day, Christ is going to return. And he will establish the kingdom of God here on earth. And all the promises that God made to, to Israel will be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom. But when Christ returns in Revelation 19, is there a conflict? You bet there is. In fact, the kingdoms of the world, the end of the tribulation, they're in conflict with one another. There's a battle that's about to take place outside of Jerusalem in a place called the Valley of the Armageddon. And when they gather together, they suddenly realize that they have an enemy greater than themselves, that they have a common enemy in Jesus Christ who is returning. Christ returns with the bride, uh, the church, meaning us, and he returns and they, they focus their attention so the kingdoms of the earth are gathered together and united in their rebellion against Christ. And what does it say? And Christ puts all of them down with the breath of his mouth. And this is the blood comes up to the bridle of the horse. In fact, the angel of the Lord calls to the birds of the air and says, come feast. It's bloody. It's a conflict. It's a battle. And then the kingdom is fully and finally established. But what about the in-between? What about the time between David and, and the fully and finally in Revelation 19? What about us today? Listen, even for us today, the kingdom of God advances in the midst of conflict. You need to know this. I think this is what we need to realize. We need to have more of a wartime mentality as we live our lives than we, than we potentially do every day. We tend to think that we're in peacetime, that this is an easy time. No, this is a time in which we are engaged in a battle against the, 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 uh, what, what Paul says to us. You're not, you're, your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the powers and the forces of this present darkness. Listen, there is a spiritual battle taking place today, and we go out to advance God's kingdom. Amen? And we do so not with some kind of defensive posture. We do so with an offensive posture, posture just like David, knowing the Lord God is with us. And we go to advance. And you know, Jesus, when he was in, in Matthew 16, when Jesus said to Peter, Peter had made the great confession, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. You remember what Jesus says? You're, you're Peter. And upon this rock, meaning your confession that I am Lord, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is offensive language, meaning that you and I are to raid the gates of hell. 
and to win back those that have been enslaved by Satan so that they might know joy and fellowship with God in recognizing Jesus Christ as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's what we do. We go out to a world and we tell them we recognize the great king. We submitted to him, and it's blessed to submit to the king. It's a great joy to know him as your king and to have his word as a guide for life. And we encourage others to bend the knee to the lordship of Jesus Christ, and the kingdom of God advances in this world. But we do so in the midst of conflict. There's persecution. There's hardship. There's an enemy who stands against us. But we do so with great confidence, knowing that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And if God be for us, that was the confidence of David. If God be for us, who could be against us? So we move it forward. And so you see this picture. In fact, Psalm chapter 2 is one of my favorite psalms. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot and scheme? The kings of the earth take their stand against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us tear his fetters apart and let us cast away his cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. See, here's the picture of the world today. There's two groups of people out there. There are those who are rebelling and rejecting God. There's a lot of people out there. Romans chapter one says that God has placed a knowledge of himself in every one of us, that every one of us have a knowledge of God within us. But we choose to do in our sin is we suppress that truth. We hold it down like a beach ball underwater. And we don't want God to be king. We want to do whatever we want. That's the mantra of the world. We want to do whatever we want to do. We want to go wherever we want to do. Go wherever we want to go without any repercussion. And we rebel against Christ. And the message of this passage is, listen, you can rebel against the king. But know there's a day coming. Every need, just as David will advance the kingdom and reestablish the borders. And all those who oppose him will eventually fall at his feet. Notice today, every person who rebels at Jesus Christ, against Jesus Christ, who rejects him, one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what we do is we implore you now, be like toy king of Hamath. Bend the knee to Christ today willingly. Know his grace. Know his freedom. Know his forgiveness. But if you will not, there's a day coming. There's, a, there's been a song that's been on my heart. I'm going to ask Chris to come up and lead us. So you in the worship center, you at, at Reach Church, Paola, you in the, the venue service, we're going to sing this song together. It's just been on my mind all week as I'm thinking about what it means to bend the knee to Christ. Because I think so many people, making Christ Lord of your life scares you. You're not ready to let go. You're fearful. If I let go, I don't know what that'll mean if I submit my life to him. Listen to me. Whatever you, whatever you let go of, what you gain in Christ is far better. See, the, the, the joy is submitting to God's rightful king so that we who are enemies become friends through faith in Jesus Christ and know the joy of walking in fellowship with him. And there's a guy, Elijah Hoffman, he wrote a song. Um, some know it as glory to his name, some down at the cross. Um, I don't know if you guys have Spotify. I do Spotify, and it picks up on the songs I listen to, and it'll suggest a playlist. And what's funny is a lot of my suggested playlists are becoming Gaither songs. I don't know what that says about me, but... Um, but this is uh, the Gaithers sing this one. But listen to these words. This is if you if you know Jesus Christ. Listen, this is this is your story. 
Just like Twiggy, the light bulb came on. You saw Jesus the King. You submitted. You knew his salvation. This is down at the cross where my Savior died. Down where for cleansing from sin I cried. There to my heart was the blood applied. Do you know this today? If you'll submit to Jesus as your King, the righteousness of Christ will be transferred to your account on the basis of faith. That's what we read about in Romans chapter 8 as we started the service. You become a child of the King. The last verse, I love it as well. It says this, come to this fountain so rich and sweet. Cast thy poor soul at the Savior's feet. Plunge in today and be made complete. Glory to his name. Lay it all down today. He's king. Quit rebelling. Quit rejecting. If you don't know him, submit to him today. Know the joy of walking in fellowship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So let's stand together. Worship center, you're going to stand too. Paola, you stand. Chris, you lead us as we sing this hymn. Down at the cross where my Savior died. Down where for cleansing from sin I cried. There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to His name. Glory to His name. that you have extended to us in Jesus Christ the greater son of David the the good shepherd who came to lay down his life for our sin that we who were enemies might be made friends through the blood of Christ that was applied to our account on the basis of faith we thank you God for this salvation that you provided if there's anybody that doesn't know you Lord I pray that you would draw them to yourself I pray that they would see the depth of their sin king and the salvation that you have provided through Jesus. I pray that they would submit to him, know his, know his lordship, his forgiveness, his freedom, his grace, and his peace today. Lord, for those of us that do know you, I pray that we would walk in fellowship with you and we would advance forward your kingdom. We, like David, would seek to be faithful and justice and righteousness would be established in our lives, in our churches, and in our community as we follow you. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name.